Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Thursday, May 6th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Check out the daily article every day over at ATS.io with my thoughts on the card. Obviously, it's been a very rough season here so far. If you've been following along with my picks exclusively in the ATS app, which you can download in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store, you know how tough of a season it has been for me. But on the last few shows, I've been talking about the reasons why and sort of why my handicapping process, why everything that I've been doing of late is not working out for me this season. And I will expand a little bit more on that here today on this edition of the Betters Box. But along with the daily article that you can read over at ATS.io, lots of other great content as well. I do golf previews weekly as well as UFC and NASCAR stuff. We've got NBA, NHL, MLB picks and predictions. Uh, the Preakness is coming up. I'll have a preview for that next week. We've got a lot of good things going on over at the website. So please make sure you check it all out. And you can read the articles in that ATS app, which is also a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database. You can subscribe to a premium model in there as well if you want to get some selections from that. $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month in that ATS app. So I very, very much encourage you to check that out. All right, so the traditional format here for today's show, we'll start with a look beyond the box score, talk about the sabermetric stat of the show. The down the line segment will cover line moves that we've seen over the last couple of days here. I'll give you a pick for tonight's action. And then finally, a preview of the weekend ahead. I believe I have five series listed in the notes here for today's show. And if you missed Monday's edition of the betters box, I highly encourage you to go back and check that out because I talked about the decreased offensive numbers that we saw in the month of April. And I did just April 1st to April 30th, comparing that year over year. Obviously in 2020, we didn't have an April during the baseball season, but I talked about a lot of the big gaps between batting average and expected batting average between Woba and expected Woba, the decrease in batted ball distance overall. Now I want to talk about results on high velocity contact. And I'm going to run through a lot of numbers here. So this is a good reminder for you to email me, skatingtripods at gmail.com. If you want to get on the list for the show notes from the betters box, the script that I'm reading from, the script that I use to break down all of this stuff on the show, skatingtripods at gmail.com to get on the list for the notes. Typically send those out on uh, the night of the show or the morning after, depending if I get caught up with something but skatingtripods at gmail.com if you want to be on the list here for the show notes. Now, one of the things that I've really tried to focus on over the last three or four years handicapping baseball is contact management. We've got StatCast now. So with StatCast, we get real-time batted ball data in terms of exit velocity, in terms of launch angle, in terms of expected batting average. So we can look at a lot of these different things. And when I first started out handicapping baseball with sabermetrics about eight to 10 years ago, we would look at stats like BABIP, batting average on balls in play, and not really apply the proper context to it because we didn't know. You know, unless you were able to watch every game and kind of see how the balls were coming off the bat, you know, we just assumed that BABIP was a measure of luck, you know, that it was a measure of luck and maybe had taken into account a team's defensive strength or something like that. We had looked at home runs, 
and thought, okay, well, home runs are something a pitcher can control, you know, but we didn't really take it to another level. We didn't really go that deep with it. And that's when things like FIP became a lot more popular than ERA and stuff like that, especially as we got kind of into the early stages of this launch angle generation. But StatCast started in 2015. And by 2017, 2018, I was really incorporating that a lot into my handicapping process where I was looking at the pitchers that stayed off the barrel, the pitchers that showcased their command, not by strikeouts and walks or home runs or anything like that, but by the amount of hard contact that they allowed. Because when you think about contact, when you think about batted balls, this is an obvious statement to make, but it's very important for the context of what I'm talking about. The harder a baseball is hit, the more difficult it is to field. Again, this just makes perfect sense. The harder hit it is, the better the quality of contact is, and also the shorter the amount of time that a fielder has to make a play on that ball. And of course, when you think about contact quality, when you think about high velocity contact, you're thinking about doubles. You're thinking about balls that are crushed in the alley or down the lines. You're thinking about home runs. You're thinking about all of these things that either create runs or create a lot of good run scoring opportunities because extra base hits give you the chance to score runs easier than walks and singles do. And when you think about this current environment for baseball, where the strikeout percentage has gone up every single year for a long period of time now, and we're on pace to set yet another record this year. When you think about how often hitters are striking out, they're striking out just shy of one out of every four plate appearances nowadays. So You've got to have doubles. You've got to have triples and home runs. And these things that really put you into good situations to score runs or have actually scored runs by hitting a home run. So one of the things that I really looked to focus on were these contact metrics. And another reason why I did it is because a lot of times we would see line moves, you know, a low ERA, a high FIP, boom, line move. High ERA, low FIP, boom, line move. And these things are still out there in the marketplace, but now with more advanced data, we can apply a lot more context to these things. So when I started using StatCast data and really incorporating that into my handicapping process, I would find the reasons why a guy had a high ERA and a low FIP. You know, maybe he wasn't allowing home runs, but he was allowing a lot of hard contact. Well, just because you're not allowing a lot of home runs, doesn't mean that you're not going to give up runs if you're giving up a lot of doubles, a lot of no doubt hard singles, stuff like that. So I started really incorporating a lot of these contact metrics into the equation for me. Here's the problem in 2021. Everything has changed. So I'm going to run down here a five-year sample from 2017 to 2021 to illustrate what's happening with this Major League Baseball season and to some degree, to kind of cover the start, the bad start to the season that I've had, but also to explain to you what we should look for going forward. Because as I talked about last week, April 2021 was much different, or as I talked to you about on Monday, excuse me, April 2021 is a lot different than the previous Aprils that we have had. So with that in mind, one of the things that I've done the last couple of years on the betters box is I've looked at results on high-velocity contact. And I've taken that from a league-wide standpoint, 
and also from a team-wide standpoint. And on Monday's show, I will do it from a team-wide standpoint to kind of look for some of the positive or negative regression teams in terms of hard contact and the results and outcomes that they've had so far. But when we look at this from a macro standpoint, looking at it from the league as a whole, let's go ahead and start by going well into the past. So in 2017, batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour averaged a 647 batting average with a 640 expected batting average, 1.394 slugging, and an 834 WOBA, weighted on base average. So in 2017, 647 batting average, 1.394 slugging. In 2018, a 620 batting average, a 1.316 slugging percentage. And we did see a different baseball in 2018 that did lead to some decreases here on high-velocity contact. Again, a 27-point difference in batting average from 2017 to 2018, a 30-point drop in WOBA. So 2019 rolls around. And the ball becomes spring-loaded, juiced, as they say. I think we had five teams that hit more than 300 home runs in 2019. Maybe it was even more than that. But the batting average on 100-plus mile-per-hour batted balls went back up to 634. The slugging percentage, an all-time high in the StatCast era, which again dates back to 2015, at 1.401. The WOBA, 818 in 2019. So we go to 2020, the shortened season, the 60-game season, things very different, things very uncomfortable, obviously, in a lot of ways. But we went from 634 on the batting average in 2019 to 608 in 2020. So another big drop, another overcompensation from the league in terms of the baseball with that 26-point drop on batted balls of 100-plus miles per hour. Slugging, of course, way down. Woba dropped by 17 points. So now we get to 2021. Remember, the batting average on batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour, 2017, 647, 2018, 620, 2019, 634, 2020, 608. In 2021, we are at 581. Now, as a frame of reference here, the batting average on batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour in 2017 was 554. And that's 95 miles per hour. Generally speaking, if you change your search parameters in Baseball Savant, for every mile per hour you go down with the top or with the bottom of your threshold. So we're at 100 plus right now. If you go to 99 plus, if you go to 98 plus, stuff like that. For every mile per hour you go down, the batting average drops about 10 to 15 points. So we are in a position now in 2021 where very high velocity, very well-struck batted balls are a hit less than 60% of the time for the first time ever in the StatCast era and by a large margin here at 581. The weighted on base average this season on batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour is 765. That's down 36 points from last year and down quite a bit more. It's down 53 points from what we saw in 2019. So what we have here this season is we've had pretty much the same number, pretty much the same rate of high velocity contact, just with dramatically, significantly lower outcomes. Again, we're talking about 
a massive drop of 27 points from 2020 to 2021. We're talking about a drop of 53 points from 2019 to 2021. So the baseball is obviously playing much, much different. And as somebody who formulated his handicapping philosophy and process based on contact management, based on looking at teams that hit more fly balls at high velocity contact, well, that doesn't really jive with what's happening this season. So when we go to batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour, and again, all this stuff laid out for you very nicely if you subscribe to the notes, skatingtripods at gmail.com. Similarly, we're seeing drops across the board. 2017, batting average on batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour, 554. 2018, 522. 2019, 539. 2020, 510. 2021, 482. So a batted ball of 95 plus miles per hour that was reliably a hit more than 51% of the time in the last three full seasons is now a hit only 48.2% of the time. And for the first time ever in the StatCast era, the slugging percentage is under 1,000. It's 975. Woba's dropped 35 points since last year, 58 points since 2019. So the data shows us here that 2021 is significantly different. Could wind up being an outlier. I don't know. We'll see what happens with the baseball. But here's the biggest thing. This is the primary takeaway that I want you to have from this segment. When we look at the expected batting average of batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour, 640 in 2017, 612 in 2018, 624 in 2019, 601 in 2020, 629 in 2021. So based on what has historically happened with batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour, based on all of the factors that go into the StatCast formula, the expected batting average falls into a very normal range. But we have far and away the lowest batting average ever in the StatCast sample size, which again dates back to 2015. It's the same thing with batted balls of 95 plus. Expected batting average this year of 530. That's in line with 2019. That's in line with the 2019 season with the juiced baseball based on the contact quality we've had this season. But the batting average, 57 points lower at 482. So this is quite significant, quite substantial data here that we're looking at. And again, it helps to at least somewhat explain the bad start to the season that I've had because my handicapping style has this big emphasis on contact quality, lineups that have it versus lineups that don't, pitchers that allow it versus pitchers that don't. Hard contact is just simply not yielding the same types of results that we've seen in the past. So this run environment that we're currently in will continue to be low, I think. I don't think anything dramatically changes here. And the problem with all of this is that with less, you know, with fewer positive outcomes on this high velocity contact here, it has created, at least in my estimation, a higher variance environment. Because one of the strengths that I used to have was isolating games where you'd have one pitcher who did a good job limiting hard contact, another pitcher that didn't. And so I would fade that guy who gave up a lot of hard contact. 
and with success usually. Now, it's not really the case because giving up hard contact isn't as bad as it used to be. So it has created a much higher variance environment, at least as far as I'm concerned. One of the things I've talked about is I believe that's the reason why underdogs have done so well straight up this season, just simply because bad pitchers, guys with bad command, are not being hurt nearly as badly as they have been in the past. And to add another layer to this, like I talked about previously, performance with runners in scoring position is way down. So when you've got fewer chances and you have a higher variance environment because a lot of teams are just bad across the board, it's just whether or not it's your night or not to get those key hits, it creates a very difficult environment for betting. So this isn't to make excuses. This isn't to cover my ass. This is simply to say to you that things have fundamentally changed this season. And I think I've put together a very comprehensive breakdown over the last few shows about how different things actually are. But also to say that, you know, if you're a guy that allows a lot of hard contact and you've got bad command, it probably won't hurt you as much this season as it would in previous seasons. So when you go and you look at that pitcher and you say, oh, this guy's got a 375 ERA this year with a, you know, 425 FIP. But the last three years, he's had an ERA of 475 with a five FIP. Well, that guy may not regress to the same degree this season because the baseball is much, much different. So it's very hard for me as somebody who uses a regression analysis handicap at an individual player level to just automatically assume that a lot of these things will come to fruition. So it is a very difficult baseball season to bet right now with the process that I have, with the process that I think a lot of people have out there. And so, you know, we have to make adjustments. We have to make changes and sort of decide, you know, what we can do a little bit differently. But again, when you go from looking at a pitcher's hard hit percentage, which is percentage of batted balls put in play at least 95 plus miles per, or at least 95 miles per hour, all of a sudden that's not a hit half the time, only 48.2% of the time. That really changes the game in a very, very big way. So as I'm going through researching all of this data, talking about it here on today's show, talking about it on the last few shows, I'm starting to try and create a profile in my mind of what I want to do handicapping going forward with this baseball season. And it is very much a work in progress. It is something to where, you know, I have to get a little bit uncomfortable. I have to go out of my comfort zone because the things that I've used and the things that have worked the last several years are not working this year. And what's triply frustrating, quadruply frustrating about it is that this may be a one-year outlier. And next year, the ball will probably play differently, probably be a little bit more neutral relative to that full sample size that I've been talking about. So very difficult at the outset of this season, to say the least. And when we look at just some of the teams that are kind of outliers here, you know, I talked about some play on and play against teams on Monday's show, and so far the returns on those have been pretty good. But you look at a team like the White Sox, for example. They are 24th in number of batted balls hit 95 plus miles per hour. They are 30th in fly ball percentage, dead last. So I would have looked at this profile last year and said, I hate this. I hate this team's offense because I look for hard contact and I look for fly balls. So the White Sox, 24th in batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour, dead last in fly ball percentage, 
They're sixth in weighted on base average this season. They've got a high 321 BABIP with that ground ball offensive style. They're 17th in slugging percentage, but they're top six in weighted on base average. Their walk rate does help a little bit, but it's not an offensive profile that I would buy in a given season. But this year, where everything is different, maybe I don't see as much of a fade opportunity for a team like the White Sox here. Similarly, the Cardinals, right? Big increase in contact quality for the Cardinals. They're still a little bit below average as an offense based on the numbers that they have, but they are 10th in batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour. They are ninth in fly ball percentage. Those are two really positive developments for an offense that's been a bottom 10 unit for the most part over the last few years. They're 15th in weighted on base average. So in a regular season, I would look at the White Sox as a negative regression team and the Cardinals as a positive regression team on the offensive side. But I don't know if I can do that this year. So that's the challenge that I'm having here is are some of these things still applicable and to what degree can I use them in my handicapping process? And the answer quite simply, even though we're about six weeks into the baseball season now, or five weeks, I should say, is that I I still don't know. So it's been hard. It's been very difficult on top of the travel and all those types of things. But it's been very hard to put together a you know profile and a portfolio of the types of teams I want to bet on here, of the types of pitchers that I want to fade. Because everything is just so statistically different than what we've seen in any previous season. Take, for example, the top three teams in fly ball percentage this year. Seattle, Oakland, and Toronto. Of course, park factors do play a role here a little bit, but they rank 29th, 16th, and 19th in that order in weighted on base average, 27th, 14th, and 16th in slugging percentage. So three offenses that in the past with the old baseball probably would be doing okay, but there are a couple of them are league average in the A's and the J's, and the Mariners are a bottom five offense and, and quite possibly a bottom three offense. So Again, everything is just so different here for this season. So I mentioned that I'm going to talk about teams, and I'll do this a little bit more in detail coming up here on Monday's show. But the league average on pitches of 95-plus miles per hour, on pitches, so this is velocity. This is pitcher velocity. I'll talk more about exit velocity on Monday with teams. But in terms of pitcher velocity here, again, just trying to dig into the data to find anything actionable that I can find in a season where nothing is what I expected it to be. High velocity, pitches of 95 plus miles per hour. The league batting average is 220. The slugging percentage is 354. So across the league, hitters are batting 220 on pitches of 95 plus miles per hour with a 354 slugging. So as always, you want to look for the extremist of the extreme outliers See if some of them come back to the pack a little bit. Like the Pittsburgh Pirates, for example, they're batting 139 on fastballs of 95 plus miles per hour, 221 slugging percentage. The Indians, 154 batting average, 282 slugging. The Cubs, 163 and 270. Yankees, 166 and 262. You would not expect a team like the Yankees that makes the contact quality that they do to be a bottom five offense against high velocity pitches. The Yankees offense is one of the biggest positive regression candidates in all of baseball. As far as I'm concerned, 
So they are a play-on team, and we have seen money on them throughout this series here against the Astros. The Marlins batting 180 on high-velocity pitches, 307 slugging. Tigers 180, 203 slugging. And the White Sox 190 with a 280 slugging percentage. So pitches of 95-plus miles per hour. So if you see these teams facing starters that throw really hard, those could be problem areas for them as this season goes along. Again, the sample sizes are still small with regards to that because batted balls in play of pitches of 95 plus miles per hour are not overly big. But you would expect a team like the Indians to maybe get a little bit better. The Cubs, certainly with all the talent that they have, and the Yankees as well, probably the White Sox. But teams like the Pirates, Marlins, and Tigers will probably keep struggling against premier velocity. So Indians, Cubs, Yankees, White Sox, expect their offenses to get a little bit better against pitchers that throw really hard. The other side of that coin, the teams that have done really well, the Reds are batting 325 with a 491 slugging on pitches of 95 plus miles per hour. I would be surprised if that continues, but you know they are making a lot of strides on the pitching side in terms of developing more velocity. Maybe they've kind of isolated some things in terms of hitting higher velocity contact as a result. The Royals at 321 with a 486 slugging. I would expect that to regress. The Blue Jays, 280, 399 slugging. I think that's going to stick around. They should be one of the better teams in the league in that department. Houston batting 270 on pitches of 95 plus, 393 slugging. That seems fair. And the Rockies, 260, 490 slugging. That should come down, but Coors Field definitely playing a role there with that. So gave you a lot of numbers here on today's show. Just to sort of wrap up that part of the segment, High-velocity contact is not as beneficial as it has been in the past. So pitchers that allow a lot of it are having more success than I would have expected them to coming into the season. It's not nearly as hurtful for guys that don't have good command, which I think is a big reason why we've seen a lot of underdogs winning games here early on in the season. I don't think that this changes. I think it could lead to a lot of parity. Maybe some teams do make better adjustments than others. Maybe more pitchers do start pitching to contact, as I speculated on Monday, where walks are a problem, high-velocity contact is not as much of a problem. So guys may start pitching to contact a little bit more if they've got the higher walk rates, if they have that capability to do that. Maybe they don't nibble as much, something like that. But here's another follow-up point to everything that I'm talking about here. Maybe we need to focus more on defense because fielders are going to get more fielding opportunities on balls that they can actually handle. The increased drag on the baseball is slowing it down in route to the fielders, which is a big reason why batting average is so low to go along with shifts and just, you know, that the, the fact that the baseball is deader in general. But maybe we need to focus more on defense. So the sabermetric stat of the show here today is defensive runs saved. And you can find this over on Fangraphs. When you go to the team splits pages for batting and pitching, you can click on the fielding box and it'll show you all of the team stats from a fielding standpoint. Now, defensive runs saved is calculated by an an analytics company, excuse me, called the Fielding Bible. They pull their data from Baseball Info Solutions. Now, this is a plus one, minus one kind of system relative to how often 
plays that fall into these fielding buckets are made based on actual results. So essentially what they do is they take batted ball type, hit speed, and direction, and they put it all into their big hopper. They track these things by hand, and they basically look at how often plays that are similar are made. So for example, if a fielder makes a play that gets made 25% of the time, that's worth 0.75 defensive runs saved. Now, on the flip side, if that play is made 25% of the time and the fielder doesn't make it, well, that's minus 0.25 defensive runs saved. And this is a an integer system, so it is plus one, minus one. It is rounded up or rounded down. But essentially, you earn defensive runs saved for plays that are made, and you lose defensive runs saved for plays that are not made. If a play is made 100% of the time, let's say it's a pop-up to third, lose it in the sun, the wind takes it, whatever else. If it's a play that's made 100% of the time and you don't make that play, that's minus one defensive run saved. If it's a play that's made 60% of the time and you don't make that play, that's minus 0.6 runs. So again, it's a pretty simplified system in a lot of ways. It's not as detailed and analytically driven as some of the other stuff that I talk about, but it is something that can be very useful, can be very beneficial as you're taking a look at the games here. So I don't think the Washington Nationals are a very good team. I don't like their pitching staff, and I don't like their lineup. However, the Nationals, number one in defensive runs saved this season at plus 24. The Padres, number two, plus 15. White Sox, number three, plus 14. Brewers, number four, plus 13. Cardinals, plus 11. And then the Diamondbacks are plus 10. I included them because I'm including all of the teams that are at least plus 10 defensive runs saved. So that matters, you know, in a depressed offensive environment here where you can't rely on a whole lot of run support, you've got to make plays defensively. And so far, those six teams, Nationals, Padres, White Sox, Brewers, Cardinals, and Diamondbacks have been pretty good fielding teams to this point in time. Now, the other side of the coin, the worst teams, the Oakland A's are already minus 20 defensive runs saved. They have been awful defensively now they've been able to overcome it but I do think that makes them a negative regression candidate to some degree as we go forward here probably especially on the road where the ball may carry a little bit better than it does there at Oakland Coliseum the Angels the second worst minus 18 defensive runs saved the Phillies minus 12 the Cubs minus nine and the Tigers minus six the Tigers don't really do anything well but The Phillies, once again, another bad defensive season for them has absolutely had an impact on where their record sits to this point in time. Also, their offense has been an underachiever so far. So maybe we need to look more at these defensive metrics because, again, you know, you've got a scenario here where you've got a lower run environment, you've got less power, you've got less carry to the baseball. You've got to make plays. You've got to convert batted balls into outs. Some teams do it and some teams don't. Another metric you could possibly use to try to quantify defense and use it in your handicapping is that Fangraphs has the all-encompassing DEF metric, the the DEF metric, DEF, like most DEF, not like can't hear. This includes fielding runs above average and the positional adjustment. 
Now, I'm not going to go into deep detail with this, but it makes sense that some defensive positions are more important than others. Traditionally, shortstop has been more important than second base. You know, traditionally, center field has been more important than left or right field, stuff like that. So this encompasses fielding runs above average and then adjusts based on position to weight more important positions, you know, like shortstop over second base, shortstop over third base, stuff like that. So that's why this positional adjustment is important and something that Fangraphs has incorporated. So the top five in the DEF leadership board, the Brewers, they are plus 9.9 defensive runs, Orioles plus 9.7, White Sox plus 9.6, Twins plus 7.5, and the Rockies plus 7. On the backside, the Tigers are minus 16 defensive runs, according to that Fangraphs metric. That's not good at all. Angels minus 10.1, Blue Jays minus 9, Dodgers minus 8.8, interesting team there. And the Padres minus 6.3. So the Padres are plus 15 defensive runs saved, but minus 6.3 and in the bottom five in this all-encompassing defensive metric. And a big reason why is because Fernando Tatis Jr. has been their worst defensive player. And according to this DEF system from Fangraphs, shortstop probably the most important position there. So the system does need a little bit of an overhaul. I think Travis Sochik did some great work on this for the score, taking a look at how shortstop has fewer chances for fielding than ever before. But this is why defensive metrics aren't incorporated as much because they're kind of all over the board. You know, it's been very hard in a lot of ways to quantify defense. One thing that StatCast uses is outs above average, where the Rays are the best at plus 11 outs above average, Mariners with 10, Miami and San Francisco with eight, the Blue Jays and the Phillies, two bad defensive teams, minus 13 and minus 11, respectively. So I don't know what defensive metric you want to use. I don't know what the best one actually is, but I do think that based on this current run environment, we may want to look a little bit more at the defensive metrics as this season goes along. And in particular, with pitchers that don't get a lot of strikeouts, guys that will have a lot of balls in play across the board, balls in play have not been as detrimental as they have been in past seasons, but they can still hurt you if you don't have a good defensive team behind you. So maybe that's something that maybe the adjustment that I'm looking to make of looking more at defense relative to number of balls in play that are expected and kind of trying to figure it out that way. So maybe defense, despite the fact that I don't know how trustworthy all of these defensive metrics are, maybe that is something I need to incorporate more into my day-to-day handicapping. Again, I will remind you, talking about a lot of stuff and a lot of stats on today's show, skatingtripods at gmail.com to get the notes for the betters box. So the down the line segment here is we talk about some line movement that we've seen over the last couple of days. On Tuesday, we did see money come in against Aaron Nola. That was with Eric Lauer on the mound there for the Brewers. Rare to see aces get bet against. I take notice when it happens. Philly did win, but there was a lack of market confidence in the Phillies and Nola in that one. And I think a big part of that, two parts to that. One, the Phillies are shit defensively, and two, they're not hitting. So I think those were the two big reasons there for that. Tuesday and Wednesday, we've seen Yankees money. Zach Granke and Domingo Herman on Tuesday. Uh, Luis Garcia, Jordan Montgomery on Wednesday. Seeing a little bit of Garrett Cole money today against Lance McCullers. As I said, the market is in line with me. The market believes that the Yankees 
are a positive regression team, and I would expect them to get steamed this weekend as they host the Washington Nationals. We'll talk more about that series in a few minutes here. Similarly to the Yankees, the Twins are a positive regression candidate as well. And I don't know what the hell is wrong with this team, but money came in on the Twins on Tuesday in a fade of Kyle Gibson. Money came in on the Twins on Wednesday with Young Jung Yang taking, making the start for the Rangers, Lewis Thorpe going for the Twins. The Twins lost both of those games. They are a positive regression candidate, but for some reason, it's not coming to fruition here so far. There are times to play on them. I think against the Rangers is a big favorite, probably not one of them, but I am looking to bet on the Twins here as we go forward. On Tuesday, we saw the Reds get bet into a favorite against the White Sox, and that was a White Sox team missing another hitter with no DH. They're already down Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez. Uh, you know, they've got some guys that kind of been in and out of the lineup, some guys that haven't been producing, all of that. We saw a lot of money on Jeff Hoffman in that game uh, going up against Dylan Cease on uh, the Reds with Hoffman there taking the money in that one. Weird week here so far. We've had a few double headers. We've had some pitcher changes and all of that. Very important to keep that stuff in mind. If you're looking back at the odds screen to look for line movement, you know, keep in mind double headers with, you know, to be determined starters and all of that openers. We've had that happen two or three times this week. Uh, keep that in mind that maybe the line moves aren't always about that. They're just adjusted to the new scenario at the start of the game. Saw some money on Max Freed on Wednesday against Eric Fetty and the Nationals. Uh, Juan Soto activated on Tuesday. Didn't play Tuesday. Didn't play Wednesday. Uh, I believe he appeared in a pinch hit role in both games, but uh, he has not been in the starting lineup yet. When he is, we'll probably see an adjustment uh, to some of those Nationals lines. JT Brubaker and the Pirates took money against Hugh Darvish and the Padres. Once again, an ace with money coming in against him always piques my interest, uh, but Darvish and the Padres, of course, held serve in that one. We saw money on Yusei Kikuchi on Wednesday for the Mariners against the Baltimore Orioles. Kikuchi pitched just fine. The bullpen didn't, and John Means, of course, through a no-hitter. So I've won an under and a no-hitter, and I've won an over and a no-hitter here so far this season with four of them already. And yes, Madison Bumgarner's counts. Uh, like I said, Yankees money on Wednesday, Twins money. I would expect both of those things to continue. Saw a good bit of Chris Bassett money in Oakland and Toronto on Wednesday night. Robbie Ray, very, very strong start for him. Nine strikeouts, but I talked about this in yesterday's article. All of a sudden, he's more of a pitch-to-contact dude throwing a lot more fastballs, kind of shelving the slider, looking to be a little bit more efficient and economical. So far, it's working. So uh, really interesting adjustment there by the Blue Jays, where Robbie Ray is the guy that we have to look at through a different lens here for this season. Thursday, we saw some early Zach Wheeler money hit the board, and then Brandon Woodruff buyback came in when it was announced that Bryce Harper wasn't going to be in the lineup for the Phillies. Saw they moved down on the total from nine and a half to nine with Drew Smiley and John Lester. Again, speaks to this year's offensive environment because there is no way in hell that I would bet this total down with Smiley and Lester. Not a chance. I would probably in a traditional year play over nine and a half, given how those two guys have pitched here so far. But, you know, at this point in time with this offensive environment, very difficult to play high numbered totals here for this season pretty quiet day for line moves overall the only pick i can give you here because i played a couple of early games that are going to be going off about the time i get to show out played the marlins tonight pablo lopez madison bumgarner 
Uh, Bumgarner's first three starts were bad. His last three starts have been very good. But Lopez, very consistent. Marlins with a much better bullpen than the Diamondbacks. So I went ahead and laid the price here with Pablo Lopez this evening and the Miami Marlins. Weekend preview here. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I love mine. I'm sure you love yours. Uh, A lot of great women out there raising some good people. So happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. And especially if you're a mom who listens to this show uh, very much, happy Mother's Day wishes go out to you. Mariners and the Rangers here. Chris Flexen and Mike Fultonevich on Friday. LJ Newsom is listed as the starter for Saturday, but he did work in relief on Wednesday. So we'll see if he remains in line for that. If so, he'll face Dane Dunning in that game. And then Justice Sheffield and Kyle Gibson on Sunday. I want to see how the market approaches these two bad teams. You know, the Mariners hitting a ton of fly balls. I don't mind that idea, you know, in a, in a regular season. But they're also going to Globe Life Field here where there's really not a whole lot of carry to the baseball. Texas gradually regressing with runners in scoring position. And by the way, remember when I talked about the Reds being at 464 after like two, two and a half weeks, something like that? Well, they're down to 305. They're the only team in baseball over 300 with runners in scoring position. The Rangers are second at 291. I don't expect that to continue. So maybe some ugly unders in this series could be a possibility here. Uh, Chris Flexen's pitched very, very well coming back over from the KBO. I don't know if I believe in that. One thing I do believe in, I think Dane Dunning bounces back here in this start. So that's something I would take a look at for Saturday. And maybe a fade of Kyle Gibson on Sunday. We'll see what the prices look like for that series. The Battle of Los Angeles is more than just a Rage Against the Machine album. It's also what happens this weekend with the Dodgers and the Angels. Julio Urias and Griffin Canning on Friday. This is an under initial thought for me. Love Urias. Like Canning. Think Canning is much better than what his numbers have looked. Not only this season, but throughout his career. So maybe an under in that Friday game. To be determined in Dylan Bundy on Saturday, Clayton Kershaw, Jose Quintana on Sunday. The Dodgers are dealing with a lot right now. They're not playing particularly well. The bullpen's kind of in a state of flux. Uh, their starting staff is kind of dinged up a little bit. They got a lot of things going on here right now. But the Angels, as we talked about already, a bad defensive team. Anthony Rendon, you know, he's been banged up quite a bit this season. Hopefully nothing serious with that ball that he fouled off of his kneecap. Very hard to bet either team right now. So maybe looking at that under on Friday, but not sure that I'll have much else in that Dodgers-Angels series. Nationals and Yankees here. Patrick Corbin, Jamison Ty on Friday. Max Scherzer, Corey Kluber on Saturday. Joe Ross and Domingo Herman on Sunday. I want to see what these Yankees prices look like because I like them in all three games of this series here. I'm going to fade Patrick Corbin when I can. I think we can do that on Friday here. Tyon probably minus 150-ish, 150, 155 is kind of where I would ballpark that one. I'm definitely going to have a play on Tyon if that's the range or anything lower. Corey Kluber's been great with his changeup so far. They've found a great way to limit Kluber's fastball. Lots of changeups and curveballs and cutters. All of a sudden, his projection looks a hell of a lot better. So I think he could match up with Max Scherzer there on Saturday. I'm not a big Joe Ross guy on Sunday. Yankees, much better bullpen. If you find something decent for the Yankees series price, and I don't know what that would be, um, you know, maybe in the 175 range, something like that. I like the Yankees to win this series. And again, I could have a piece of the Yankees potentially in all three games here. 
Padres and Giants, good series here. Some good baseball coming up, to be sure. Blake Snell, Anthony DiSclefani Friday. Joe Musgrove, Kevin Gaussman on Saturday. To be determined, we'll face Johnny Cueto on Sunday for the Padres. Oracle Park is playing big again this season. Possibly some unders in this series. I think that's a potential thing. But also live betting the Padres. The Giants' bullpen is not very good. The Padres' bullpen, despite all of the injuries and some of the depth concerns, has been quite solid this year. So I do think you have some opportunities potentially to live bet the Padres in that series. And lastly here, the Phillies and the Braves to wrap up today's show. Zach Eflin, Charlie Morton Friday, Vince Velasquez, Ian Anderson Saturday, Aaron Nola and Huascar Enoa on Sunday. This is Sunday Night Baseball. Been kind of looking at that situational spot a little bit, but both of these teams are off on Monday. Only six games on Monday. So a light start to next week means I should get the betters box out in a timely fashion. But as far as this Phillies Braves series go, you know, I like Ian Anderson quite a bit. I like Charlie Morton. I like Inoa. I'm going to see what these prices look like here because the Braves offense much, much better than the Phillies offense at this point in time. Like I said, talked about a ton of stuff on today's show. Lots of numbers, lots of notes, all that kind of thing. Skating tripods at gmail.com to get on the list for the betters box show notes. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have a happy, healthy, smart, safe weekend. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.